Welcome, everyone. Is there anybody in the house? <laughs> Welcome, everyone. That's a little bit better. Let's try it one more time. Welcome, everyone. All right, okay. See, I can't actually see who's here. When you're standing in this spot, you can't exactly tell who's in the house. I'm kind of relying on that audio verbal response back. Welcome, everyone. It's great to be here together with you tonight. I've been traveling over the last few weeks, and what a blessing it is to be able to come into this place physically and to be with other believers that call on the name of the Lord and worship him together. And so it's, it's just wonderful to be here. Thank you for coming out tonight. All of you that are joining us online from around the world, it's wonderful to have you with us tonight. There's uh, about 27 countries that are joining us from around the world, and we want to welcome you on YouTube and on Facebook Live and King's Community Live. It's great to have them here all together with us, worshiping together in the house of the Lord. Uh, I know that you probably had a lot of other things that you could have chosen to do tonight, especially during this time of the year where life kind of picks up, it gets a little bit busy during the month of December. But we know that God is faithful as we gather together with him. This is where real life change takes place as we engage with the Lord, as we engage with Yeshua. It isn't just about being together with one another, though that's a a wonderful part of our growth. The real growth happens as we come together with the Lord, and I believe that he's going to meet us tonight. Uh, I want to encourage us then to engage with the Lord. He's here, faithful to his promise, to come and to be where two or more are gathered together in his name. Let's engage with the Lord tonight. Let's open up our hearts. He's moving in and among us. And uh, those of you that are online, he's moving among you. And he wants to speak to our hearts and to our lives tonight. So I want to encourage you to do that. Here in Israel, we're celebrating today uh, an outstanding anniversary. 29 years ago today, December 19th, 1992, that beautiful redhead that you saw leading worship here tonight said, I do, to me. (laughs) Yeah, so 29 years ago, we were married today, and God has been good to us. And I want to just say thank you to my amazing and beautiful wife for 29 and amazing years together with her. Uh, Also happening here here in Israel, we continue to have uh, uh, an extended closure or lockdown on our borders. This has been going on now for almost two years. Israel is waiting to kind of see how this variant unfolds. And so they've locked the borders down yet again till the end of the month, to the end of the year. It'll take us almost into two full years of closure. So we're waiting to see what's gonna happen. We're hoping after the first of the year, things are gonna kind of lighten up and, and loosen up. But isn't it amazing that we're actually at the end of 1990, excuse me, 2021? I'm still stuck on 1992. (laughs) Happy anniversary. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? 2021 has come to its end. I don't know about you, but I actually get excited about the new year. And to me, it's it's a great time to kind of look back over things that have happened in the past year what God's done and kind of process those things and then begin to, to look forward into the next new year and, and, and begin to pray into those things and asking God to show us where we can grow. And I get excited about 
the new year. I know that everybody has different feelings about it. And uh, looking back at the old sometimes isn't a good feeling. Looking forward to the new and many question marks isn't also such a good feeling. But uh, I think it's a great time for us to process what has happened behind us and what God has in front of us. So would you uh, join me for just a couple of moments? I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. And let's just take a moment, pause, and I want you to, to look back over this last year, over 19, 1992. <laughs> I should have never said it, it's stuck in my brain now. You can look over 1992 if you can remember it. Look back over 2021, and I want you to process where in 2021 did spiritual growth take place? What did that look like? What were the uh, events and the circumstances, the moments and the seasons that made up growth, spiritual growth, this past year in 2021? Where and when was it that you saw and you experienced the presence of the Lord, the, that you were able to engage with Yeshua and interact with him, where he made himself known to you? Where did growth in your faith take place? What were the events and the, the catalysts that caused that to take place in your life where, where faith took a, a deeper step? When or where, what caused you to let go of selfishness, selfish ways? What helped you to trust God, to fully lay your life into his hands, that things that drew you closer to him what, what did that look like this past year? And now looking forward into 2022, where do you imagine or expect that spiritual growth is, is going to take place this next year? What do you imagine that's going to look like? How is it going to happen? Where will you be strengthened and built up in your faith and in your relationship with Yeshua? How will you be inspired to lay aside the selfish, fleshly desires that are things of this earth? And, and where will you be inspired to embrace God's pattern of selflessness and dying to self and allowing Yeshua to be the Lord over your life? Those are kind of hard questions to ask, but it's worth us taking a couple of moments and, and asking that question, how does God create growth in our lives? What does that process look like? What, is, what does growth look like in our lives? Is it just a matter of coming to a service on a Sunday night, week after week after week? Is that what makes growth? Is that what strengthens our faith? Is that what takes us deeper? Is it going to a Bible study? Is it daily devotions? Where, where does growth happen? How does it happen? That's where we're going to go tonight in our look at the scriptures. We want to see how God produces growth and maturity in our hearts, and our lives. What are the tools and the instruments that he uses to accomplish this in us and through us? 
We're still in our perspectives series as we've continued to look at different narratives, different stories from God's word, examining the characters and the situations that are taking place and, and gleaning from them things that we can apply then into our own lives. So we're going to continue that look tonight through, through a very uh, popular story or a story that many of us are familiar with out of the book of Genesis. So go ahead and grab your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 42. We're going to look at chapters 42 through 45. We won't read all of them tonight. Pastor Chad is traveling. He's on uh, ministry for the, uh, on traveling for the ministry in Europe. He'll be back with us tomorrow, I believe, and uh, we will be excited to have him back. He's invited me to share with us tonight and continuing the, the series of perspectives. We're going to be looking at the story of Joseph and his brothers, a story that many of us are familiar with as we look at how his brothers uh, treated him, the things that Joseph went through himself, and uh, how we can glean some tools for growth in our own lives in this next year. We're not going to be able to read the whole story tonight. We're just going to take a few moments to rehearse how Joseph's brothers um, had a, a season of jealousy towards their brother and how they sold him into slavery and, and in that place, some of the things that Joseph experienced and went through. And then what we're really going to look at is how God uses all of the situations, all of the circumstances, even the sin of the brothers to not only prepare them for their true calling to create in them the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, but to also bring life and to bring salvation to the world around them as we look at this story from each one of their perspectives. If you're not familiar with the story of Joseph, I want to encourage you to grab your Bible, look at the verses in chapters 42 through 45. It's a fantastic uh, synopsis of the ways that God works. But most of us know this story, the story of Joseph, the son of Jacob, his favored son from his favored wife. Jacob had favorites. This created a, uh, an unpopular uh, environment for his brothers. Joseph uh, becomes this object of envy and jealousy as his brothers continue to see how Jacob is treating him different, treating him special. The, the brothers then build up this anxiety and this jealousy towards Joseph, and, and it only gets worse as Joseph begins to have dreams that God is giving to him, dreams of his brothers and his family coming and bowing down before him. This creates a greater animosity, of course, amongst his brothers and a jealousy that eventually in a fit of anger and jealousy, the brothers throw Joseph down into a pit with plans to destroy him, to kill him. At the last moment, they change their plans and they decide rather than them killing him, they'll sell him into slavery and let slavery kill him, sending him off as a slave into Egypt. From the brother's perspective, their thorn in the side, this younger brother, Joseph, the, the favored son of their father, Jacob, is now gone. They don't have to worry about him any longer. And now they're free of the jealousy, free of the uh, injustice that's been taking place in their home. 
If we fast forward over the next 10 or 15 years, we watched Joseph's life then as a slave in Egypt go from being a slave to actually being thrown into a, a prison dungeon, into a situation that is really uh, unimaginable for us, what it would be like to be thrown into that kind of a place. And yet this is where our, our friend Joseph goes. And in that place, we watch him struggle with God's calling over his life and what does it mean, all of these dreams. Until in a surprising turn of events, Joseph is promoted to second in command of the country of Egypt, second to Pharaoh, because he interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And then in line with Joseph's interpretation and in line with his prophecy, the worldwide famine strikes his brothers and his father in the land of Canaan. At the beginning of chapter 42, we see Jacob dispatching his sons to go down into the land of Egypt to get some food and to bring it back to his brothers and to their families. As the brothers come then into Egypt, they come before their brother, Joseph. They don't know that it's their brother, but they come before him asking for food. He realizes and recognizes who they are, but they don't have a comprehension of who he is. He's just the Egyptian leader. As he looks at his brothers, he begins to wonder if his brothers are still the cruel, selfish, arrogant brothers that he had experienced as a, as a youngster. Joseph begins to test them to see and to hear who these men now are today, the ones that are standing before him. What are their hearts like? He accuses them of being spies. He throws them into prison for a few days. Eventually, he sends them all back to Jacob, along with all of their money, along with lots of provisions for the trip to go back, puts all of their money back in their sacks, and leaving one of their brothers behind as a guarantee. He gives them these directions to not return to Egypt unless they bring back his youngest brother, Benjamin. As the brothers return home without Simon, they realize that all their money's been returned back to them. The Bible describes for us they believe that God is actually punishing them as they see this money, that God is punishing them for how they treated their brother Joseph. They explain to their father that if they actually want more food, they're going to have to bring their youngest brother, Benjamin, uh, back to uh, Egypt. Jacob totally refuses, allowing Benjamin to go and explains that all of this that's taking place is creating this grief that he's not willing to go through. When their food supply finally runs out, Judah convinces Jacob to let them take Benjamin back down to Egypt. As they go, Jacob makes this one condition. You're welcome to take my youngest son, but you need to go with lots and lots of gifts and lots and lots of money. Let's smooth out our way before this Egyptian leader. The brothers finally present themselves to Joseph along with their younger brother, Benjamin, in addition then to lots and lots of gifts, lots of money, in hopes that all of this will pave a way for them to be able to be out of this situation that they find themselves in, doing everything in their own strength to make this work. This time, however, in Egypt, Joseph brings them into his house for a meal. He sets them up and makes it look like they've stolen from him. 
And in this scenario, Judah finally appeals to Joseph, still not understanding that this is his own brother. He appeals to them for to him for their lives, for the life of their youngest brother, Benjamin, and ultimately for the life of their father, Jacob. Joseph finally breaks down and begins to weep and reveals who he is to his brothers in this very dramatic moment where the brothers are incredulous that this is the brother that they had put into slavery. Joseph explains in great detail that all that's happened wasn't because of them, that they shouldn't blame themselves, but because all this time God has been in control. An idea that's foreign to them, that all this time, all the things that have taken place have been because God was in control and that God has used all of the situation to bring life to them and life to the world, to bring salvation. This is an amazing story. We see in this story the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness to his promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and even to Jacob, though Jacob has a hard time seeing God's faithfulness in it. We'll talk about that in a moment. But what we really see here is how, how God works, how in spite of our own sins, our decisions, our failures, God still brings life. He takes ashes and turns them into a beautiful thing. So we see through this story how God does that. We also see how God works in spite of the situations and the circumstances that happen to us. Things that are outside of our control that impact us, but we have no control over how they impact us. But what it really teaches, what this story really teaches us is who is in control of all of the circumstances, all of the situations in our lives and how God uses each and every one of those circumstances to create his purposes for our lives and for the lives of our families and how he uses those circumstances to train us and to grow us and to allow us to move from immaturity to maturity if we embrace those situations in our lives. The psalmist captures the truths of these words and of this situation in Psalm 66. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. Let's look at Psalm 66. We're looking at verses 8 through 12. The psalmist begins by saying, Praise our God, all peoples, let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives. What a great praise. He's preserved our lives and he's kept our feet from slipping. And then the psalmist turns the corner and begins to describe how God did this. He begins to say to God, for you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. You went, we went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. What a, a, a dramatic picture of how God works in our lives. 
Listen to the message version of this. Bless our God, O peoples. Give him thunderous welcome. Didn't he set our set us on the road to life? Didn't he keep us out of the ditch? He trained us first. He passed us like silver through the refining fire. He brought us into hard scrabble country. He pushed us to our very limit. Road tested us inside and out. Took us to hell and back. Finally, Psalmist says, he brought us into that well-watered place. When we look at Joseph and his brothers, we can see that this, what the psalmist describes for us, is how God works. He trains us, he tests us, he builds us up using the situations and the circumstances of our lives the things that we probably wouldn't have chosen to happen to us, the things that we probably wish that we could have done different if we had a chance to do it over again. And yet, we see through the psalmist's words, we see here in Joseph's life that God uses the events, the circumstances, situations of our lives to train us, to build us up, to take us deeper in our maturity, in our understanding of who he is. And yet, many of us don't know how to really respond to this idea. We don't really know what to do with this idea. We love that idea that God is taking us to a good place. We love that idea that God's going to reward us and we're going to come into that land of that, that's well watered. We love that idea. But when we process the idea that we get there through the hard scrabble country, through the, the God allowing people to go all on our heads, to carry burdens on our back, to walk through the floods and the fires. Now we have to stop and process that a little bit. We don't like that idea so much. It doesn't feel comfortable to us. It's a concept that quite honestly doesn't get taught very much in the body of Messiah these days. It's not popular. We don't want to imagine that this, this is how God works, that he would allow people to go over our heads, to ride over our heads. But this is what we see in Joseph and his brother's story. We, we see how they approach the different situations and circumstances that take place in their lives. As we look at their lives and look at the perspectives of how they deal with the struggles, how they deal with the trials, the trials and the temptations and the tests, we see different ways that we can approach those same things. So let's begin by looking at Joseph's brothers, his 10 older brothers who unfortunately have to live under the shadow of their younger brother who's well-loved, treated special and differently than all of the other brothers. Jacob loves on his son Joseph and, and to a point makes the environment very uncomfortable for everybody else. He even pits Joseph against his other brothers by asking him to go and tattle on them. What are they living like outside of the house? What are they doing when they're away from the home? And it creates a, 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 a situation, an environment that 
begins to breed jealousy in the hearts of the brothers. The brothers respond to this injustice. And, and let's just point out here for just a moment. So hit the pause button. All of us experience injustice in one way or one fashion, one form, one level or another. We all experience it. It's part of our lives. Here, we're actually getting to see how Joseph responds to, or the brothers respond to that injustice. They have different options to respond to that injustice. They could say, well, God still has a great plan for my life. Who cares if Joseph is getting all of the attention? But that's not how they respond. They respond out of jealousy. They're going to try to make the, the playing field level by removing this obstacle of their jealousy. So they decide to sell their brother into slavery and probably into certain death. But as the story unfolds, we begin to see how this decision begins to weigh in their hearts, how it changes every other dynamic in their lives. As the story unfolds, we see that as they stand before their, their brother Joseph, and he begins to test them, the, the events and the circumstances of their lives and how they see them impacting them is heard through their words. Listen to their words in chapter 42. They said to one another, as they're standing there before Joseph, still not recognizing that it's their brother, they said to one another, surely we're being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Then Reuben said, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen. And now we must give an accounting for his blood. God gives us a little insight into the way the brothers are perceiving what they're experiencing. They're carrying the guilty conscience for over 10 years of their lives. I'm guessing that many times before this event even takes place that they're actually looking at the, the situations in their lives through these guilty conscience eyes. The brothers believe that the events taking place in their lives are God's way of punishing them because of the way they treated their brother Joseph. It's all bad according to their perspective. And it's probably only going to get worse. You see, it's, it's important for us to see that their perspective on life is that God is against them. So for over 10 years now, they've been carrying this perspective. God is against them because Jacob has chosen Joseph as his favorite son. God is against them because Joseph keeps getting all of the, the attention. Then they get rid of Joseph, and now God is against them because they sinned against Joseph. And every situation in their lives, they're looking at through these glasses. For example, when they finally see the silver in their bags, the, the provision, the treasure that Joseph has given to them, instead of seeing it as a treasure, they see it as a curse. That God is against them. They say, what is this that God has done to us? God is against us. Even when they're blessed by God, they see it as a curse. How about Jacob? 
we see when we look at Jacob, the father, that the apple hasn't fallen too far from the tree. Jacob lives with a fatalistic victim's mentality. And so as such, he approaches all of the circumstances, the events in his life from that perspective. Everyone, he says, and everything is against him. Jacob lives with a constant angst, a fear of future events. He's developed an attitude of taking charge of his own life and and covering all of his own bases and watching out for his own interests. Nobody else is going to do it for me, so I I need to do it for myself. Because everything everything and everyone is against me, I need to take care of myself. See, he has a faith in God. We see this in his interactions with God. But he doesn't see or allow God to be his provider. He doesn't see or allow God to be his protector. He doesn't really trust God. He keeps putting his trust in himself and his own abilities. He doesn't trust God's ways. So when he's finally confronted with a proposition of Benjamin, his youngest son going down to Egypt, we hear Jacob's heart Chapter 42 and chapter 43, he responds to his own sons and he says, you have deprived me of my children. You, my sons, have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin? Everything, he says, is against me. As for me, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. In other words, I don't have anything else to live for. I've lost everything. Have you ever heard someone say that or something like that? Or maybe you have said something like that. I can't, I can't win to save my life. I, everything I try, it doesn't work. It goes south. God is against me. God doesn't love me. It never works in my favor. Much like his sons, Jacob is looking at all of the circumstances in his life and all he sees is bad everywhere he looks. Everything, he says, is against me. He's lost all hope for the future because he's put all of his hope in his own self, in his own abilities, his own strength to be able to cover his bases. And he's lost everything that he's put his value into. Finally, we look at Joseph's perspective. And when we look at all of the different characters, we would actually expect Joseph's perspective to probably be the darkest, to probably be the most without hope, the most hopeless of all of the other characters. Because of everything that Joseph experiences, everything that happens to him, we're expecting Joseph's attitude to be right down there in the dumps. Yet we see something very, very different in spite of all of the events that take place in Joseph's life, all of the circumstances, all of the things that have happened to him, all of the things that he has done that were wrong, he understands those differently and he comes to a different perspective than his brothers or his father. Joseph has a broader and a more eternal perspective perspective, a perspective I believe God wants us to see, a perspective that I believe we want to embrace as our own. From Joseph's perspective, 
God is in control. God has good intentions so that no matter what happens in Joseph's life, no matter what kinds of events take place, whether he did it or it happened to him, he believes that God's best intention is in mind towards him. But not just towards him, Joseph actually believes that God's intentions are good towards his family and and even towards his brothers who threw him into prison. He even believes that God's intentions are good for the Egyptians that don't even know God. See, Joseph understands that God's intentions towards mankind are good. And that's his perspective on the world around him. Listen to his heart as he reveals himself to his brothers. He says to his brothers, come close so that you can see who I am. When they had actually gotten close, he he says, look, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one that you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. These are the first words out of his mouth. Don't be angry with yourselves. Have you ever wondered why Joseph takes so long to reveal who he is to his brothers? I have. The answer is right here. Joseph realizes that if he reveals to his brothers who he is, it's going to destroy them with guilt, with this feeling of failure and and that understanding that they've sinned against him. So his first words out of his mouth are, don't be distressed, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. He continues to say, because it was to save lives that God sent you ahead of I sent me ahead of you. Joseph's perspective is that God allowed all of this to happen. God is in control. He continues in verse 6. He says, for two years now, there's been a famine in the land. For the next five years, there will be no plowing and no reaping. To preserve, God has sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, Joseph says, it was not you who sent me here, but it was God. We need to pause there for just a moment and soak that in. What are the situations in your life Could God possibly be behind them? What are you going through right now? What are you experiencing? What are those tests and trials that you're walking through right now? How is God involved in those things? Let me ask you, where do you see yourself in this story? Joseph's brothers, Jacob or Joseph, whose perspective matches yours? How do you view the situations and the circumstances that make up your life? Things that have happened in the past, things that are happening now. And as you look forward into the future, who's in control of those things? How do you approach looking at each one of those things in your life? Are you wearing the glasses of your brother like the brothers? That God is angry at me? He's looking for ways to punish me? 
Are you expecting things to go badly? Do you see the silver that God has put in your pouch, the good things, the blessings? Do you see those as a curse from God, God's judgments? Or maybe are you more like Jacob? And I'm raising my hand there. Believing in God, but taking care of your own self, covering all of your own bases, trusting in your ability to push yourself forward, not trusting God to take care of you, not trusting God to provide for you, living with this victim mentality that everything and everyone is against me, so I need to to take care of myself, be my own defender, my own provider, my own protector. Or maybe you're more like Joseph, and that's my prayer for us tonight that you know God is in full control of every situation, of every circumstance. And not only that he's in control, but that he actually has good intentions towards you. And not just good intentions towards you individually, but good intentions towards you, towards your family, towards your community, towards the body of believers, towards those that don't even know God. God's intentions towards mankind are good. Is that your perspective tonight? Whose perspective do you have? And how do you see those situations that make up your life today? Oswald Chambers describes this scenario in his daily devotional, My Utmost, for his highest, on the December 18th devotional. That was yesterday's devotional. He says these words, It is only the loyal person who truly believes that God sovereignly controls and engineers his circumstances. He continues by saying, we take our circumstances for granted, saying that God is in control, but not really believing it. We act as if things that happen were completely controlled by other people. To be faithful, to be loyal in every circumstance means that we have only one loyalty or one object of our faith, the Lord, Yeshua. The idea is not that we do work for God. Rather, the idea is that we are loyal to him so that he can do his work through us. This is a key phrase. Think of that for just a moment. What perspective are you looking at? Are you working for God? Are you just being loyal to him and allowing him to do his work through you? Being loyal to him, meaning no matter what happens, good or bad on the scale, and anything in between, we can't control all of those things, but we can stay focused and loyal on the master, on Yeshua, and then allow him to do his work through us. Chambers finishes by saying, God wants wants to use us as he used his own son. Three times Joseph emphasizes to his brothers, God has always been in control of my life, of your lives, of all of the situation, of all of the circumstances. And God has used all of it for his good. Do we understand that concept tonight? 
that God is completely in control of all of the circumstances in our lives, that it isn't just happenstance, that it's not up for grabs, that we're not somehow victims to the random events that take place in our lives or to cruel people or to arbitrary systems. Rather, like the psalmist describes God, do we have that picture of who God is? That like a master, the uh, master instructor, the professor, the trainer, the coach, looking out over us, his pupils, his students, trainees, his players, God has already designed a course of study, the rigors of training, a personalized curriculum for each one of us to walk through in our lives. He's designed it individually for maximized growth and exposure to him, to his word, to his ways, to take us to deeper levels of faith, deeper levels of understanding of who he is, deeper levels of growth so that we can move from immaturity to maturity. See, this is not something that God leaves to happenstance, not for you, the people that he loves, the people that he is planning to spend the rest of eternity with. You are the people that he's changing the the world with. You are those that he has chosen for himself. He's handpicked to carry his priceless, truthful message to the dark world, to expose the dead thinking of the world, to bring revival and to bring repentance to the hearts of mankind. And it's for this very reason that he is not going to leave you or me to grow haphazardly as we move forward. See, God's got an amazing plan for growth and for maturity for each one of our lives. So let me ask you again, as you look back over 2022, 2021, where did growth take place? Where did your faith grow? What were the circumstances that surrounded that? How did it happen? I'm guessing, like most of us, that growth took place through challenging times, through tough times, through situations and circumstances that probably we would not have chosen if we would have had a choice. Now, looking forward into 2022, we can know with certainty that God is truly in control. His tests and his trials come with benefits. According to the psalmist, it takes us to a place of abundance, to that place of well-watered land, because God gives us his best. His tests are what make us overcomers. Revelation gives us a picture of the overcomer 
It's a challenge to us. We aren't able to be overcomers unless there's something to overcome. As we move forward into this next new year, God has a course of study, a plan of trainings and testings, examinations, practical hands-on experiences that he's going to take each one of us through as his students, as his followers, those that he deeply, deeply cares about and loves. And I want to challenge us tonight that we would embrace God's challenge for us. I want to challenge each one of us tonight that we would look at our lives with Joseph's perspective. That God really is in control. Even though sometimes, many times, most times, it feels like, it looks like, God has nothing to do with it. We want to keep our eyes focused on him, whether we're in the good, great seasons of life or we're going through the the pits. Keeping our focus on him and allowing him to do his work through us. I want to invite you as we come to the end of 2021 and we get ready to step into 2022, we're going to kick off our new year with 21 days of prayer starting January 1st. We want to give back to God basically a tithe in our prayer and our fasting at the beginning of the year with this idea that God is in control of what's going to happen in this next year and we can, we can begin to pray into those different areas, those different situations in our community and in our own lives, begin to ask God to be the Lord over each and every one of those seasons, over each and every one of those situations. We're going to start on January 1st, which is a Shabbat. And then we want to invite you to join us each and every day at 9 a.m. on our KKCJ and KKM Facebook page. Different ones of our community are going to be leading us in prayer over specific areas over specific things with this theme in mind that God is unlimited. We're serving an unlimited God and believing God for the unbelievable in 2022. Would you join us then on January 1st and then throughout this next 21 days in prayer, in fasting if the Lord leads you that way as a, as a tithe into our year, giving him those first 21 days asking him to be the Lord over all of the things that are going to take place in 2022. It'll be a good time. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Then we'll worship together. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness in our lives and just that reminder tonight that you truly are in control. We don't have to make our own way. We don't have to provide for our own selves. We don't have to somehow be afraid of the future. You're not against us. You're actually for us. Even though the situations sometimes don't look that way, we're going to put our trust in you because you're a good God. You're a good father. 
God, we thank you for the examples that we see in your word. And, and we just ask that you would, in each one of our lives, help us take that Joseph perspective. Help us, God, to lay aside wrong perspectives that would accuse you, that would harm our relationship with you. Yeshua, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for this time that we've had together. We ask God that you would be with us now in this uh, ending of 2021, beginning of a new year. Lord, we ask that you would be Lord over our lives. In Yeshua's name we pray, amen.